0: Thank you. And we are live. Welcome, everyone. My name is Nikki Lopez of Nikki Lopez Creative, and you're watching The Circle, where every Tuesday, well, not anymore every Tuesday, every first and third Tuesday of the month, I talk to artists, activists, social entrepreneurs, people doing great things in the world today. And today, I have a very special guest and friend, Sue Gallinger. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Hi, good evening. Great to be with you, Nikki. Yes, 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 indeed. And so while we're getting warmed up we are live in a few places on facebook we're live under nikki lopez creative we're live in the group called the circle on which many of my past guests and great people are in that facebook group if you're interested we're also live on youtube um, under nikki lopez 19 and once this broadcast is complete in a few days you could find the podcast on any of your favorite podcasts spotify Apple, iTunes, uh, all of those things. So welcome, welcome everyone. And so just getting started, Sue is a spiritual being having a material experience for the liberation of all. Her roots are in liberation, environmental and feminist, womanist theology and praxis. She's also have been laboring in the nonprofits and local government for 30 years seeking to co-create healing and life-giving community and organizational structures to practice and practices as a white LGBTQ woman in the anti-racism journey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I thought it was definitely important to read all that. I love that. Yeah. There's a, there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Short, 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 and mighty paragraph. <laughs>
1: Pack some ex- extra nutrients in there. Yes,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So let me just make sure I could look at my comments. So, yeah, so j- diving in, and you know, um, I love the fr- that how you start with uh, a spiritual being having material um, experience. And I do hear that sometimes from people saying it in quotes and things like that. What's your definition of that term?
1: Yeah, so I, I've come to know that, that I came out of an infinite consciousness of love. Like that's, that's the field out of which my body came to be. Now, certainly born through my parents and raised in a family, but, but the ultimate ground of my being is this infinite consciousness of love. And when I die and my physical body ceases to exist, I will return into that that knowing place. And so this experience is about finding that consciousness of love in these finite bodies and relationships and conditions. And and so it's it's a continual journey of remembering and and exploring and creating and reflecting back that amazing consciousness of love. So Mm -hmm. that's my take on it.
0: Awesome. That's a, that's a great answer to that. And we have, I see we have Gretchen saying, this makes me so happy, beautiful, powerful (laughs) women. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Gretchen. Thanks for joining us. So if you have a question, comment, feel free to add it to the comment section. And if you are in the Facebook group, I cannot see your name. So you have to post it if you want me to mention it. Um, what does uh, liberation mean to you and what sparked your interest on that journey
1: yeah so you know a lot of life is is painful and 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 shrinks us and contracts us and so liberation for me is is being open is staying in touch with our wholeness is allowing energy to flow um, and, and creating conditions where we all can thrive and we all can develop the gifts that we've been given for the whole. And many structures and thoughts and, and interactions limit that and constrict it. And so for me, liberation is about releasing that and supporting that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And um, I, I noticed that you have feminism and women, womanism, Mm-hmm. What's the difference or what's the connection?
1: Yeah, so I studied uh, theology back in the 80s. And at that time, there were a lot of um, feminist theologians who were writing about particularly the Christian tradition and ways that it was anti-women or patriarchal. And so I found that to be very liberating saying, oh yeah, well, you know, this is my experience. Um, and and then shortly thereafter, I came um, into a conversation with black women theologians who had a very different understanding of what liberation meant, grounded in their own truth. And I began to see that, you know, feminism really was an articulation of white women's experience Mm -hmm. um, and didn't account for black women, Latina women, indigenous women. And and so recognize that um, I needed to expand uh, my exposure and conversation partners uh, beyond just white feminists, but also uh, women, black women and, and, you know, Latino women and, and other women as well. Asian women, some really powerful work coming out of um, Asian,
0: fem- Asian theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And I've, I have heard that quite often, you know, this divide in, you know, in feminist movement where um, you have black women that were prominent in moving it forward, but not really recognizable, or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's still um, not all of their concerns are addressed in a holistic Mm -hmm. uh, point of view. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's also true in the LGBT community, right? Is that we often think, oh, we're about liberation for LGBT people, but unless we understand the particular experience of Black, Latino, Indigenous, LGBT folks, we haven't we haven't uh, really moved as far down that road of liberation as we need to.
0: Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And we have Sylvia always coming through. Thank you. Um, hello, Nikki and guest Sue Gallagher. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And so you've been in the nonprofit world, local government, working in the community for over 30 years. Um, What drew you to that work in particular? And why do you feel that type of work is important?
1: Well, it's interesting. I I actually have an undergraduate degree in religious studies. Um, Mm -hmm. But coming out in the mid 80s as a lesbian woman, there weren't a lot of jobs in the Catholic church for me. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so then, it, then, then uh, the guy, God, God, and the universe sort of opened up this job working with people with developmental disabilities, and you know it was a really synchronous experience because I worked, I moved down to the Catskills, I was in upstate New York, and um, it, it, I got hired as a case manager, and I worked in a, a facility group home. They had about a hundred people, and I looked down the roster. And on the roster was the name Daniel Gallagher. And I had a brother who was two years older than me. He died when he was nine and I was seven. And that was his name. And I was like, wow, just blown away and immediately connected to the work in a really powerful way. Um, And so I recognized that there was a home for me in this work um, and that this was a place of, of growing love. Um, and, and I currently am a deacon at the Sunshine Cathedral here in Fort Lauderdale. And one of the things our, our senior mm-hmm. minister says is that, um, you know, we pray that people who are ill or, or have disabilities be tended to with gentle hands. Right. Like there are times in our lives when we're all vulnerable, when we all need assistance. And may we be tended with gentle hands. And, mm-hmm. and I just find such beauty in that. So, so that's part of it is, is, is working with people uh, is an exchange of love, is an opportunity to grow love. And, and that's really what I've been attracted to uh, my entire life.
0: Mm, nice. And it's, is, uh, you know, something I don't think I've ever really picked up because you say, you know, um, a spiritual being, but then you're also a deacon. And sometimes there's this separation. But for you, you could have you encompass both of them.
1: And and the work that I do in the local government and in nonprofits is ministry. Right. Mm. Is 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 being the hands and heart and mind of Christ in my tradition or of God in other traditions.
0: Mm, nice. And then uh, oh, I thought I said it, but it's not that. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why is it important for you to identify as a white LGBTQ woman an, um, anti, on an anti-racist journey?
1: Yeah, so, so identity. Um, different identities have different experiences in this uh, culture and system, right? In the United <laughs> States in particular. Um, and so it means something to be white and to acknowledge whiteness in this system that was built to advantage whites and that oppresses and, and does harm towards people of color. Um, and so it's important that I acknowledge that whiteness and my role in this system that is bigger than I am, been around a lot longer than I am, but that I am also responsible for addressing. Um, also, you know, identifying particularly the LGBT folks that, that we have a, a role in this journey of um, creating liberation. And then, you know, being anti-racist is a lifelong process, right? We don't get to go to a training, check off the box and say, we're good. But I, it's a continual process of learning, of feeling different, of interacting differently, of creating new things with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so being able to say all of those things, hopefully signal to folks um, who, who may identify as white, who may identify as LGBT,
0: um, that there are those of us on this anti-racist journey, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I I think that's definitely one of the things I appreciate about appreciate about you and your work and your conversations because you do have sometimes people who say, "Well, I'm not racist," and they feel mm-hmm. that it stops there, or mm-hmm. the other thing is so like, "I know what you mean," but ah, where it says mm-hmm. a white person says, "I don't see color." <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So, you know, um, I think it's important when you do come across, you know, white people who are saying, you know, who can also identify like, yes, I know I am white. I have privilege. Mm -hmm. I have these things Mm -hmm. because I think, um, I've definitely come across different people where they say part of the problem is, you know, that some, a lot of white people can't, you know, talk about that. Like, you know, you are white. It's fine Mm -hmm. to say it, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah,
1: well, you know, I know raised as a white woman that my identity of being a good person was to not see race Mm
0: -hmm. and to
1: certainly not be a racist. I mean, there was a lot of energy put into raising me up to think of myself as a good person because I didn't see race. And so when I was confronted with the fact that being colorblind is being racist, it deconstructed my identity of what it meant to be a good person. I mean, it was a visceral reaction, like, no, I can't admit that because then I'm not a good person. And how can I not be a good person? But as I have journeyed with others on this, recognizing and just sort of being relieved that I I am racist as a white person in this society where I benefit without my knowledge or my consent, right? It's just how the system is set up. And once I become aware of that, then I can take responsibility for addressing it and changing it. And and there's freedom in that. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. And I'm always being tripped up about, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, stepped in that. But it's better to, for me to be authentically moving forward than trying to protect this false image of what it means to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I, uh, and I'll give a shout out to Gretchen. You know, we did a center for mind, body medicine series of workshops. And part of the reason I got into it is because I see how oh, white are people closing? are triggered. I think oh. so. Oh, can you hear me now? Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me?
0: Well, we oh. are live. Okay. I think you're back. Oh, now. <laughs> we're back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I'm not sure where I lost you, but, um, the story I was telling is that I, I co-facilitate center for mind, body, um, medicine, Mm -hmm. um, sessions. And part of why I do this is because I see how white people get triggered Mm -hmm. by these conversations and they shut down. And if we can learn breathing, if we can learn drawing, if we can learn techniques to get us through and stay in the conversation, Mm -hmm. we will all be better for it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I um, uh, my swim coach goes uh, Thaddeus. He goes. He's a practitioner of center mind body medicine. He's been telling me about it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so definitely interested in getting some more mm-hmm. info on Be- that.
1: Because the journey is not just intellectual, mm-hmm. but it, it's how
0: my body
1: reacts, mm-hmm. and and we need to learn tools and skills to help quiet our bodies. Mm-hmm because it triggers some racialized
0: trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What does healing look like in the context of what you do in community work, nonprofits, local government organization?
1: Um, so I, So we talk about like the nonprofit sector and we talk about child welfare systems or we talk about juvenile justice systems. And a lot of times, those systems are very dehumanizing.
0: Mm-hmm. People
1: get treated like a number. They get treated, um, you know, just by following the rules. They're not engaged with as human beings. And so, one of the places that healing happens is to be able to acknowledge the harm done by our systems, by our rules, right? And and find ways to engage each other more authentically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and to pause and really listen and be present to each other, and mm-hmm. to make space for for when we need to talk about our experiences and be listened to and heard and validated. Mm-hmm. So so the healing is has both a critical element of what dehumanizes us, but then also a healing element of engaging each other as human beings.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, One of the conversations we had um, not too long ago and it's talking about this acknowledgement and um, I I can't remember that I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's, you know, um, it was talking about the context of center mind, body medicine and being present and listening Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we're here to, to listen, not necessarily, you know, Come up with a solution because sometimes people feel like, oh, if someone comes to me, I have to provide a solution. But sometimes the most important thing and the basic where you have to start is to eat, just listen and 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 be present for someone or something to be able to understand and empathize with with someone with whatever someone else is going through.
1: And what I've seen is, particularly through Center for Mind Body Medicine is it allows us to bring up our own healing energy. Mm. Right? When we're listened to and validated, that draws up our own and you know healing energy and we're not reliant on somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, we can be in relationship with them but it's not their job to fix me. Mm-hmm. Right? But it is my their job to witness and love and support
0: um, mm-hmm. on the journey. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to definitely jump into um, one of the spaces that I know that you work with, um, the CSC, the Child mm-hmm. Service Council of Broward. Uh, can you talk a little bit about you know, what that is, who they are, the t- some of their services and things that they provide? Absolutely, um, Florida doesn't have a state
1: tax. And, and as a result, there aren't a lot of funding for prevention programs, but they passed a law that said counties could tax themselves. And so in 2000, the Broward County voters created the Children's Services Council, which is, you know, its mission is to ensure that children become responsible and productive adults. And mm-hmm. we do that through prevention programs, after school programs, family strengthening, diversion, maternal depression, um, you know, supporting children with special needs in their families. And and so over the last 20 years, the Children's Services Council has has supported programs in the community that help children and families thrive. Mm-hmm. We've also provided advocacy to um, put forward those things that we know support children and families. And we provide a lot of leadership. You know, we coordinate a lot of the child serving partners in Broward County. And so it's an organization that really is a hub for advancing the well-being of children and families in Broward.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Thank you. And, um, I know they have a lot of, I was checking out the website. I know they have a lot of different services, um, and workshops and things like that. But one of the things in particular, I wanted to kind of focus in on, and I thought it was kind of interesting that they're dealing with children and families, but it also kind of makes sense. Um, there's a a workshop, a racial equity workshop, and I'd like to spend a little time on that. If you could, you know, talk a little briefly about what that is and, you know, um, and it's interesting that it's offered from you know CSC. Mm-hmm. So yeah, back in 2015, our council,
1: we have an 11 member council um, said to the staff, listen, are, are our investments making a long-term difference? And if not, why not? And that really began us on a journey of understanding the history of racism in, in Broward County and why communities have such different kinds of resources and how that affects our children and families. And so we um, entered into partnership with uh, Kim Campbell and Suzanne Bundy over at Broward County Human Services Department to begin to bring in people who could help us understand how racism is showing up in people's lives and what are the things that we need to be doing about that. And so we've been on a five-year journey of very intensive two-day workshops. Uh, We're partnering now with the Racial Equity Institute out of North Carolina where 40 people at a time go through a process of understanding historical racism in the United States, ongoing structural racism, how it shows up today, and then what it's, how it's internalized for white people and for people of color, uh, black indigenous people of color. And these workshops have been critically important to really addressing racism because it, it gives us a common language because even as we've talked here, people have very different definitions of what it means to be racist, you know, racist. So if we can get some common definitions, if we can get a shared analysis and understanding of racism, then as a community we can begin to work on it, right? The Mm -hmm. the conversations don't keep getting shut down. So this education has been critically important for us to advance racial equity work in
0: family and child serving systems. Absolutely. And um, For people who may not, like you said, everybody has different terms that they're maybe familiar with. Um, I know that there's a difference between equity and equality. How do you define the two? So one of the things that um, came out of race neutral,
1: this idea of being colorblind is also this idea that we just have to treat everybody equally, right? Like that's fair. We give everybody the same thing. But if you live in redlined neighborhoods, that generationally have been denied access to home loans, business loans, high quality education, you don't need the same thing as someone who has grown up in a suburb that was very well subsidized, Mm -hmm. right? You need what is equitable for you to thrive, right? And so we want to understand this idea. John A. Powell out of the Haas Institute on the West Coast talks about targeted universalism universalism, we want everyone to achieve their full potential, but it's targeted because people need what they need based on their conditions and the environment that they're in. And so let's customize what people need for them to survive. Most systems though, want to treat everybody the same and then blame people when they're not successful. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, and so that is the difference. It's, it's not about treating everybody equally. We want equal outcomes,
0: mm-hmm. but we want
1: to treat people
0: equitably to ensure people get what they need to succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, how does that relate? Cause you know, um, I. I I didn't take the two day workshop, but I did take, um, uh, one of the workshops that was offered to some board members from some of the local, um, nonprofits. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I was there with Island city theater and, um, I liked, I know we can't get into the whole thing, but one of the things that kind of struck me in terms of, especially because, um, CSC deals with children's services, like, Um, when someone comes in for help and all of these different barriers that are set up that they don't really get the help that they need. And I wanted you to kind of like brush on a little bit of that or, you know.
1: Yeah, we we are um, looking more closely at how our eligibility criteria or our intake criteria may be barring people from what they need. And so we are now uh, beginning more projects where we're working with community members to understand what's a barrier, what would help, and how we maybe can co-design some new solutions. So it's a it's an ongoing process, but we at least recognize that we really need to um, partner with participants and community members to create more more access and and better results.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing because as people are talking about um, systems or you know systems of inequality, um, how do we create you know how do we fix it or really not even fixing it you know recreate the system where it's mm-hmm. equitable for all people? Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, we we are committed to things like emancipatory research community participatory action research, learning with people and not just doing to people. Mm-hmm. And, and so over the next few years, we anticipate really deepening those relationships and those participatory processes. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to your point, to recreate systems, mm-hmm. right? And, and to know the limits of institutions and programs and agencies, like where does that end and where does community begin? Mm-hmm. Right, And, and how, what's that relationship and how do we foster communities and community conditions where more people can
0: thrive and you're not just reliant on a service, right? It's a, it's mm-hmm. a both and. Absolutely. And we have um, a comment from the group, Allison Butler. Uh, she says, uh, this is a very important subject and presentation, thank you. Racism is built into every system in all facets and laws of this country yeah absolutely. thank you for that yeah yes, absolutely
1: and, and it's changed the way if i may it's changed mm-hmm. the way we work if we acknowledge that racism is embedded in everything
0: mm-hmm. then we
1: have to be talking about racism in all of our places mm-hmm. right? we have to apply this race race lens to
0: all of our work and mm-hmm. and that is a shift in our culture mm-hmm. and w- another um you know as we we're talking about these things that I thought it was really nice to, um, important to highlight um, when it talked to um, in the in the workshop where it talked about these um, implicit biases and how both white and black people all of us need to be conscious of them because all of us have them because I think sometimes you know that is missed when we talk about racism there's some people who feel like well Black people didn't create it, it's white people, so they have to fix it. It's, you know, so mm-hmm. there there is some truth to that, but at the same time, if we're saying the systems that were created were built on this and we were raised in this system, we we're raised on t- t- the media and all of these systems put in place then we also have to take on where we also have some of those biases. So we're learning as well to check those things and work on those things. So it's like an all hands on deck process.
1: Yes, yes. And the good news is that there is a lot of research and strategies about how to reduce those biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's a matter of bringing that into our conversations and into our work um, and, and paying attention to it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important when you're talking about um, the the like where does like agency ends and community starts, and mm-hmm. you know that communities get this training to because mm-hmm. they're talking to people, they're going out, they're doing the work, um, mm-hmm. so that you know a lot of times people, um, you know, not even the fact that they some people feel like. I didn't see racism as some uh, issue. Like people are Mm stuck just now Mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe there Mm -hmm. is something racist going on. Like, where were you? (laughs) Um, um, But it's nice that that training is, you know, is available for everyone, but uh, but Mm -hmm. also in particular organizations that deal Mm -hmm. with people, organizations that, you know, get grants, organizations Mm -hmm. that are impacting people on a regular basis. So they're able to train their staff and they're Mm -hmm. able to make, more conscious decisions and things like that. Yeah. And
1: and we have a two hour training that's available um, at cscbroward.org Equitable Communities. And you can view that anytime. It's got videos, it's got the PowerPoint. All of that is accessible to the community and we'd love for folks
0: to, to take a look at it. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I find the link or if you send me mm-hmm. the link, I'll post it in the comments afterwards, so. Okay. Um, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, or if you're listening to the podcast at some point, if you go to Facebook or YouTube, the link will be in the comments eventually if it's not there tonight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay. We have um, a comment from Tabitha, all hands on deck. Yes. The, this issue is so deeply rooted in the fabric of our system. It will take all of us. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And
1: and we need to dedicate resources, time, money, and, and um, opportunities to collaborate to, to address it, right? Like it's not just a side issue that, mm-hmm. oh, a group over here is working on it. To your point, it's mm-hmm. on all of our agendas at mm-hmm. our job and and it really is all hands on deck. Thank you for that comment.
0: Mm-hmm. And ongoing, cause I think we kind of like joked mm-hmm. a little bit about this beforehand. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we don't have to wait to February. We don't have to wait to Juneteenth. We don't have to wait exactly. to unfortunate other mass shooting or protest. Mm-hmm. This is like an everyday, hey, it's Wednesday, four yep. o'clock. Let's talk about it, <laughs> you know? That's right, what can That's we do exactly in our right. Movies? What can we do with our children? What can we do mm-hmm. in our organizations? To, you know to keep the conversation going because then you know it can't just be only when we're you know people are protesting something's mm-hmm. happening I think it definitely has to be an an ongoing you know yeah. Um, yeah I see Tabitha says hi Sue hi Nikki powerful chat <laughs> <laughs> I like that
1: <laughs> thank you
0: yep Um, We have another comment from Allison. Um, Yes, we can no longer afford to be unbothered by the inherent everyday racism that is just accepted. I am not afraid nor too shy to be the first one to bring up the subject up when given the opportunity. Thank you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, Oh, yes. um, And there was something... Yeah, and, and that's the other thing too, because sometimes people don't want to be the one, you know, mm-hmm. and, I don't, and I don't know if it works out the same way. Like sometimes, you know, at being someone of color, when you feel something's racist and you, you don't want to get accused of pulling the race card, but there's so mm-hmm. many things. So sometimes, you know, being bold, like Allison said, to like being able to like call it out, because sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, man, I don't want to say that, but we have mm-hmm. to kind of push ourselves on all fronts, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and also create a culture in the group or the organization where saying, oh, you're playing the race card is not acceptable because people ought to have space where they can express how they're receiving things. And if it's being received as racist and, and people be able to witness that and, and hold that, right? Mm-hmm. And not just shut down. Um, and, and that takes, again, this environment of education, support, listening Um, and and honoring people's experience.
0: Absolutely. Tabitha has a great question. Could you give an example of how to identify a bias? So one of the ways
1: um, that that we've been working in Broward on bias is in the child welfare system. And uh, we've seen that there has been a disproportionate number of black children being removed from homes. And sometimes the bias is about what's happening in a black family that makes it unsafe for a child. But if those same conditions were existing for a white family, that child may not be removed, right? And so it's 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 looking at people who are making those decisions to be able to pause and say, if this were for a white family, would we be making the same decision, right? Um, so that's just one example. But in the juvenile justice system, around you know, young people, young black males being perceived as more threatening or young black girls being adultified and, and seen as more responsible for teenage behaviors. Those are some of the ways that we're, we're seeing and, and, and trying to reduce bias um, that's happening in some of these systems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. And then we have another, um, oh, could you give an example of how to identify uh- a- in yourself. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I'm gonna tell you a funny story. So Monday I went to the dentist to get my six month cleaning. And when I say dental hygienist, what image comes to mind? Typically older or younger white woman. Mm -hmm. Well, I had a black male dental hygienist. And I was like, I mean, I literally thought to myself, When's the hygienist coming in? I was, I was mortified. I was like, oh, Sue, come on, you can do better than this. And he was amazing. I mean, he was really amazing. So that blew a stereotype for me, right? Like mm-hmm. I just, I wasn't ready for that. So actually the Center for Mind, Body, Medicine, mindfulness has really helped me see when um, I start to feel a little tight, or I feel anxious, or these ideas come to mind and I go, who thought that? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, And and so identifying bias in yourself is recognizing when you become a little bit tight or you're making decisions under pressure that are reinforcing stereotypes. Um, I'll I'll share with uh, Nikki a good um, resource on some strategies for interrupting your bias when you see it.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. And that in and um and I guess it also kind of underlines that like always learning because you're like, hey, yeah, we're always. teaching thing, but <laughs> I had to catch myself yesterday. So yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have Grecia saying, Thank you, Nikki, for having a uh, guest Sue Gallagher at the at the circle. Such empowering conversation. Racism is unacceptable. Thank you absolutely and then we have another comment from this uh the uh, the group he who accuses one of being a racist is generally the racist hmm. well you know one of the
1: things that i think is important in this journey is this idea of accusing other people of being racist is an invitation to really kind of pull back and and understand the whole racist system mm-hmm. right And that this isn't about blaming people. It's about holding accountability
0: for Mm -hmm. beliefs and actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, Tabitha's commenting. Wow, wow, wow. The six stages of wow interrupt your bias. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, What are some of the few benefits um, of the training, Um, you know, the, the benefits of, I guess you mentioned some of them, like in terms of like for white people and for, you know, people of color. So many, many,
1: many benefits. One is that our school curriculums growing up high school didn't teach us all of the facts about slavery, about reconstruction, racism, Jim Crow. And so the workshops fill in a lot of the blanks about, oh, wow, this is how we've systematically set up white advantage in all of our systems, economic, education, healthcare, criminal justice. So getting that knowledge um, is important for white and BIPOC folks. Um, It also um, invites us to go internal to say, how has racism been internalized? In white people, how have I internalized this sense of racial superiority that I should be comfortable around this topic of race, that I am entitled to to have people defer to me? You know, what are these ways that internalized superiority shows up? Um, and, and that's really important because people sense it if, if we're not if we're not paying attention to it. Um, and then for BIPOC people, what I've heard um, from my colleagues is that they also are um, invited to consider how they've been internally um, oppressed by this, right? How they may diminish uh, their gifts, their voice, uh, their willingness to speak up because of this generational pattern of racism. So it both uh, enhances our cognitive and intellectual understanding of racism, but it also um really draws out some of our emotional um, patterning around racism.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I would just speak just, of, you know, um, a person of color, black, and, um, uh, you know, I think um, when we, as black people, when we have this thing where, you know, there's this, you um, it comes in classism, it comes in hair textures, good hair, lighter skin, you know, um, someone who's dark skin, you know, kids would tease them and things like that. So, and and it's at our own detriment because it's just like, we're not understanding that we were made to, you know, trained to be that way. So breaking into those things of like, what is, um, you know, do we have an idea of beauty that was, that, you know, had people like us, you know, on the forefront. Because if we're, you know, growing up looking at, you know, TV and media, and, you know, only the white version of Jesus, then, you know, people don't, you know, grow up with those images that says, you know, I'm beautiful, I'm loved, like, I come in all these complexions and things like that.
1: And, and all of those things support this racialized hierarchy, where power economic and political power get concentrated at the top. So all of those things, the conceptions of beauty, um, you know, the color of the skin, all of that continually and subtly reinforces this message about who's on top and who's on the bottom. Um, And and so to be able to interrupt that is liberating, is Uh joyful. And is, you know, it comes with a certain risk
0: because you're going against this structure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What are a couple of examples of conversations or approaches that conscious organizations and communities can start to have um, as it relates to racism, equity, inclusion? What are some, yeah, if you could share some examples. For
1: I mean, I have seen particularly in these last five years that it is critical for a group to have some shared education experience together, whether it's the two hour workshop, whether it's the two day workshop, whether it's a book club, you you have to develop a common understanding of racism. That's really foundational because otherwise people will keep shutting down and it will be antagonistic. The second thing is once you have that basic common language or, or some, some agreement about the analysis is to is to make space to listen to each other. Um, we also have, um, you know, after George Floyd's murder last year, we spent a lot of time at my job just listening um, and and holding the the harm and the and the pain that people were experiencing um, as a result of that. And we had never really done it to that extent before, but we recognized how important it was for people to bring their full self um, to, to, to the space. And so, so being able to hold that, we also, um, have affinity groups, right? So we have a white affinity group, a black affinity group, and a, and a Latino, what we call the caucuses. They're all the caucuses because there are some conversations that white people need to be having with each other. that Uh Black people and Latino people don't need to be exposed to because we Uh got to work out our stuff so that we show up in a way that doesn't cause harm right mm-hmm. and and there are also particular conversations for black and latina folks as they're sorting out their experience in this system and then you know we come together in in a, in, a, in a collaborative affinity to then be able to talk but but having those spaces where we can continue to do the work and listen and learn i think
0: are are really some of the signposts of a conscious organization mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, that distinction that you're making, like, you know, we need to be in, you know, inclusive spaces and we also mm-hmm. need those spaces where it's just white people, it's just black people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've experienced over the summer last year, which I really appreciate because of all of the um, racial uprising. Well, I, I can't mm-hmm. even say uprising because it's always been there, right? So it's just mm-hmm. like now that people have s- mobile devices, you mm-hmm. know, there's no, um, getting around the things that people have been talking about for hundreds of years that's been happening, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but one of the things that I appreciated because I was in many groups where it's just like, you know, multicultural, we're having conversations, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, Mm blah. Um, but then there was also some spaces that were made specifically for black people or people of color. Um, mm-hmm. And those spaces were kind of like a healing space or kind of mm-hmm. like you know, just like what do we want to just say to each other that we may feel mm-hmm. like oh it could be taken some way or mm-hmm. you know to be angry because sometimes you know you don't want to be the angry black person of like, oh mm-hmm. of course, you know, <laughs> you know, because that's another <laughs> trope that's you know thrown mm-hmm. out. There. So I love, I really appreciate those spaces where, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, people from all different organizations and backgrounds, but they were all like black women or black Mm -hmm. people or black, Mm -hmm. lesbian women, or Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. of those things are important. So um, I really appreciated those um, a few of them. Hopefully they'll pop up again because I think, I mean, it was great. I I think it was a great response to, um, all that was happening while we we're, you know, locked down, nowhere to go, and we're seeing all these mm-hmm. things happening. But I'm mm-hmm. hoping that some of those things will become integrated into our society more, where it's mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, we're going to have this conversation about race on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know, nothing's going on, no one... Mm-hmm you know, Mm -hmm. we know that uh, we're protesting in particular, um, but also those like healing spaces and, you know, those spaces Mm -hmm. where women can gather, where black people can gather, where black women can gather, where, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those things, Um, hopefully it's, you know, there's more of them that will, you know, pop up and and become a standard.
1: Yeah. And and just a couple of interesting observations. many white people who go through the two day training, their first reaction is, I don't want to go and meet with white people. I want to go and meet with black people to help solve racism Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: we don't see that solving racism is addressing the racism within us. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and there's also historical precedent for white folks being nervous about black folks meeting without us. Right. I mean, there were laws that said no more than two or three black people could gather at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? And you couldn't do church after dark. Mm -hmm. And so, some of those reactions still come up. Like, Mm -hmm. why are they meeting without us? Well, what are they saying? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very interesting as you learn the history, you see those patterns still
0: showing up, right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 Mm -hmm. amazing. And, and, you know, when you talk about systems, I think also, um, and, you know, in education, but not necessarily the education system, we need not focus specifically on the education system, but what blows my mind is that I still every now and then come across like articles or videos where um, like there's states in the United States that don't even mention slavery. So <laughs> you have children growing up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. going to school, getting an education and um, they don't know about slavery that happened in this mm-hmm. country or enslavement of mm-hmm. Africans. It's like, oh yeah, there were mm-hmm. immigrants. We gave them, you know, they had great choices, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, when mm-hmm. we talk about these systems that have to be corrected, and I know there's a lot of people like there's, I think it's what the 1619 project, there's different mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. happening. Um, mm-hmm. There was also, I can't remember the filmmaker, um, But, uh, he just did a documentary about, you know, taking out all the brutes, but you know, um, yes, but Mm -hmm. he was talking about like the story that's never been told because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's a a quote about like, you know, as long as the hunter, you know, the the story will only be told by one side. So all Mm -hmm. of these, so many, um, generations that we've had, you know, have only heard one side of the story. Mm -hmm. So like, of course, people don't see these things because they're Mm -hmm. in the education system that's faulty, you know, that they're not even being taught, you know, what really happened, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And they recently just passed some laws in states that you can't talk about critical race theory. You can't talk about racism as a structure. Mm -hmm. So it continues.
0: Yeah. Um, Allison is saying, um, there's also a conversation to be had about the concept of race, which is the core of it all. And in my understanding, race was created by racism.
1: And <laughs> yeah. racism is a system that benefits the political and economic ruling class
0: mm-hmm. with
1: economic exploitation. And po- I mean, look at voting suppression laws, right? And look at ec- economic expo- exploitation over the centuries. This system of racism created the categories of black and white to serve those interests. It is not a scientific category of race. It doesn't exist. It's false science.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've heard that as well. And I didn't even know when we could get to that. (laughs) When we're gonna be ready for that. We're just now getting to this conversation where hopefully it's becoming more of a norm to talk about these things and to really listen to people's experience or not feel if someone who is black or of color tells their experience that it's not saying you per you per se right in front of me mm-hmm. has done something, but it's just like mm-hmm. this happened, and mm-hmm. you know it's not like saying you have to be accountable for that, but to be able to say this happens, this exists, this is an issue, and mm-hmm. and having allyship in, in in how do we you know resolve that how we change that for future generations you know and then mm-hmm. the whole mental enslavement and so and then at some point you know maybe 100 years from now we're going to talk about like hey race you know someone constructed that <laughs> yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah well and i i have a, a colleague that i've worked with her name is tawana petty and she's now working for data for black lives and she wrote a book called uh towards humanity where she actually and i'm still wrapping my mind around this critiques the idea of white privilege and she says is it really a privilege to be safe when others aren't mm. is it really a privilege to have access to high quality education when others don't is it really a privilege to have when others don't mm. and, and she's pushing she's really pushing us to say what does it mean to be human, because she finds that that continual use of the term white privilege continues to elevate white folks, mm-hmm. and that elevation is what dehumanizes us.
0: hmm hmm so, Wow. Yeah. 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 So many layers. <laughs> working on Not it. She said precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um how can people connect with you or some of the services that you talked about and mentioned today?
1: Yeah. Um so I would just email me at sgallagher at csebroward.org. Um and I will send you the link with the, the, the trainings on it. Um and and then we can get you connected. You know, the county um has um some seats available for the REI training and um you know we that's how i think we can get connected
0: okay so i'll put the resources and training i'll put the that in the comments okay and i will also put that So, we could uh, I'm just going to have it. So, for resources and training, Gallagher at cscbroward.org. It is in the comment section. And now I just threw it up on there uh, so you could get that information as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, um, shifting gears a little bit as we wind down, but um, do you mm-hmm. have any self care practices?
1: So, this work is a marathon and without self-care practices i would have fallen down and rolled off a long time ago so i have um a whole array of self-care uh one is i walk and bike in the morning Uh, Mm -hmm. i love the outdoors and and um, being in nature and i'm so revived by sunrises and breezes and birds Um, that's really important i also um Uh, This past year, during the pandemic, got um, certified as a uh, level two Qigong healer, so an energy healer, um, Mm. which I've used a lot with family and friends and self. Uh, Also uh, became a a facilitator for the Center for Mind-Body Medicine and learning how to use those um, skills to reduce stress um, has has been very important. And then just really, oh, I also do acupuncture. So you can see the... Mm. (laughs) The wide range of activities, and then just time with family and friends, um, mm. you know, and just that human contact and, and connectivity uh, is a really important piece of of self care.
0: Mm. Wow! Wow! Thanks for sharing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I I I don't know qigong, but I know we've done it in practice in a couple of times. We have these uh, Sunday sessions where a different person comes out and. Um, leads a practice of either yoga, kundalini yoga, movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually Thaddeus does it, he has some Qigong going. Yeah, <laughs> so experienced yeah. it's really amazing. So. Yeah, yeah, hmm absolutely. Um, so, okay, I'm trying to think of if there was another question that we had here. Oh, if you had access to a time machine, where would you go, past or the future and why? Boy, that's that's,
1: uh, that's challenging. Um, I guess I would I would I would go future. Mm. Uh, in that you know, we often talk about ancestors and how ancestors um, are still with us, uh, guiding and leading and inspiring us. Um, but I also believe, and I don't have a great word for it, but um, like few se- few sisters, a few sisters, right? Future sisters, future mm-hmm. ancestors, mm-hmm. who are also calling us uh, into our highest and best selves um, to create the future of which they are a part. And so um, I would I would like to to spend more time with the future ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, to to see how we've evolved uh and to see how love is manifesting uh in the future
0: mm, and i see um allison is uh saying me too <laughs> <laughs> i'll see you there <laughs> yeah I, I i think that's an interesting i love i love that that's you know i always um love um everyone's approach to that answer <laughs> That's kind of like my trick question that i always ask but um uh you know um I, I like that idea, and it's just like on so many different levels because I do feel like you know there is this universe um a couple of years ago when I attempted to try to into you know implement jogging in my life um um sometimes I would start like saying that as a mantra to myself, like um, you know. Being trying to feel gratitude for the universe pulling mm-hmm. me forward and pushing mm-hmm. me forward, yeah. You know? So that push and pull, but it's still a forward movement. So I think you know when you said yeah. that, it reminded me of that because like you have your ancestors who's like mm-hmm. holding you up, but then you have mm-hmm. the, um, what is it, Fusters. Fusesters. Fusesters you, pulling you to the future. Yes. Said, yeah, we yes. got you. Here's this new yes. thing. So I I do like that concept. And then, you know, um, I'm going off a little bit on a tangent now, but, you know, when someone, there was a conversation I recently had with someone and we were talking about trauma and generational trauma Mm -hmm. and things like that. And how like people who are practicing healing now, how we're also healing Mm -hmm. generational traumas and then also the trauma of uh, slavery and a lot of other Mm -hmm. things. People don't Mm -hmm. realize that that's passed down through DNA. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So there's that concept of it. But then someone said, well, a a, a woman, when a, when a baby, when when you have a female, a cis female, she has all, you know, in her mother's womb, she has all the eggs she'll ever have. Mm -hmm. So whatever, you know, if, if a woman is pregnant, um, with a girl child, and they're experiencing trauma, whatever they're experiencing, that, mm. that fetus is picking mm. up on that. And so is the fetuses that may get, you know, developed into a baby generations down the line. Yeah, so just kind of brings in all of that into play when you're, yeah. when you're saying that. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it,
1: which is why I would also be drawn to the past mm-hmm. to, to be a healing presence at that time, mm-hmm. you know, um, cause I think back to the trauma of my Irish ancestors under the English rule and, mm-hmm. and the trauma that they then came to the United States with and passed on, uh, in many virulent anti-black riots and movements and, and things. And, and just to be able to interrupt that, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that would draw me to the past as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. That is awesome. So, oh, my God, I'm just so excited to finally be able to connect yes. with you and to share yes. what you're up to um, with the circle. So um, I thank you so much. Um, I know we've been kind of like, yeah, we're going to get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> we did it. Yeah, we did it. And and I think, you know, everything in due time. So I think it's def- definitely yeah. a perfect moment to just create this space. And, you know, I'm just really honored to have you on and to create that space and share that um, with anybody who may watch this, definitely um, mm-hmm. definitely, um, happy for that. Um, oh, uh, Alison said worlds within worlds. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. um, so yeah, you have any like final words that you want to share before we close out?
1: Well, I just want to thank you, Nikki, for creating this amazing space. Um, it's just such a joy to to be in conversation with you and to and with everyone who's who's been with us tonight. I mean, these spaces are sacred, right? And really lift up our our sacred worth. So I want to thank you for your for your ongoing space making.
0: <laughs> space making—that's a new yeah. one. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh man, thank you so much. Um, um, so we have Allison Sand. Uh, thank you for sharing. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I want to thank everyone who is live with us, um, who's shared a comment, a question. Um, thank you for being here in this space as we create this space together. Um, thank you for your feedback and comments and you know, I invite everyone, if if you got something from this, you know, if it's one thing that you got from it, please consider sharing this video, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're on YouTube, Um, there's a lot of good information in this um, particular uh, chat and um, you never know who you can impact just by sharing uh, this video and um, someone who might need the knowledge or may want that resource or may want that workshop or just have that conversation, um, uh, can get that from you by sharing. Um, I also want to thank people who are going to be watching on the replay. Thank you for watching. And I also invite you all to, uh, share it. If you hear it on the podcast, share the link, um, with people, uh, Alison, hi Sue and Nikki. Oh, that, that might be another person in the group. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. We're, we're wrapping up. I don't know. Um, Oh, Dr. Naomi Ruth Cobb. Thank you. Yes, hey. she's um, yes. just wrapping up. Um, definitely, Dr. Naomi Ruth, um, please, you know, check out this video. It was a really good um, conversation. I think you would enjoy it. Um, so we have, if you want resources to some of the trainings, um, that, uh, Sue was talking about, I, um, I have her email scrolling, so you could email her for, and she'll send you a link out for resources and training and things like that. Um, if you enjoy this program, so the circle is brought to you by Nikki Lopez creative, as well as what's your elephant. What's your elephant is a movement that uses the arts to create a safe space to talk about everything unspoken. So tonight was definitely one of those conversations. Um, If you, uh, oh, now I'm saying, um, race conversation is absolutely necessary. Absolutely. Every day, every day. (laughs) So if you enjoy this program, if you wanna find out a little bit more um, uh, of what I'm up to, you know, other programs like this. Please go to what'syourelephant.org. You could also check out the link tree slash Nikki Lopez 19, and you could see um, some of the other programs and links that's available if you want to support. There's always a What's Your Elephant T-shirt. Um, so definitely, I invite you to to do any of those. And um, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, your company, your conversation, the work that you're doing, the energy that you're putting behind it and all the intentions of like mindfulness and all of those Mm -hmm. things, I think, um, and all of your different intersections of who you are. I think when Mm we have, um, especially when we have these um, somewhat challenging topics Um, When we're able to bring our full selves, when we're able to bring, you know, our differences, because your point of view is going to be totally different than mine, but we need both of those point of views to come up with solutions for for the world. So I I, I just thank you for um, being that person, and I am going to sign off for for now. Again, this is the Circle, the first and third Tuesday of the month. We are here at eight thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And for that, I will say good night. <laughs>